The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. An IPO is basically a storytelling event. It's when a group of entrepreneurs, early investors, and Wall Street bankers come together to share a company's history, vision, and of course, future value. There's lots of creativity involved, but if you watch enough IPOs, a pattern emerges. That's partly because the SEC has certain requirements, but it's also because Wall Street likes a familiar script. If something works, keep going with it. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to the Readback from Barron's. This season, we're winding back the clock and unraveling the stories of the companies behind the biggest and most fascinating IPOs to answer a key question. How do we put a price on innovation? Today on the show, how Beyond Meat's revolutionary idea became one of Wall Street's favorite stories. Do you remember the first time you learned about Beyond Meat? For me, it wasn't when I saw the company's fake meat burgers at the grocery store or at a friend's barbecue. It was in May of 2019 when I read about the company's banner stock listing. Now, I might have a bit of a different lens, being a financial journalist and all, but for many of us, Beyond Meat was a big stock before it was a big product. This was the IPO as a marketing event, one that actually trumped the company's product branding efforts. The first time I heard Beyond Meat was, you know, when they were getting ready for their IPO. That's Al Root, who you've heard many times on this podcast. He's covered a lot of disruptive companies and IPOs for Barron's, and says there was a clear reason why Beyond Meat's listing stuck out to him. It was a different level. Beyond Meat, I believe its IPO price valuation was less than $2 billion. You know, $2 billion, it's it's sort of, it's not even worth covering if it's not worth $2 billion. Yeah. Right. So I hadn't really heard of it. And then, you know, I did the, the skeptical, wait a second, isn't this just a veggie burger? Just a veggie burger. It was probably a common refrain among investors, as Beyond Meat prepared for and decided how to price its IPO. But any dismissive talk pretty quickly disappeared once people started thinking about the company's potential. This wasn't just an occasional meat alternative. This was a company that had the potential to replace meat altogether. And guess what was served at all the investor meetings, guys? The Beyond Burger. So all the investors were able to try it. The first glossy photo in Beyond Meat's S1 filing, a document we'll come back to later in this episode, made its burger look like something you'd buy at Shake Shack or In-N-Out. The company ultimately priced its IPO at $25 a share, valuing the company at $1.5 billion. Peanuts in the world of IPOs these days. The size of the IPO is way more conventional in my mind than some of these other IPOs. You know, with Uber, we're comparing it to uh, some technological franchises that are worth trillions, and then like automotive companies that are worth uh, tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. So, you know, Beyond Meat was a shocker how well it performed out of the gate. After pricing at $25, the stock nearly doubled by its opening trade, and it ultimately rallied 163%, ending its first day of trading with a market value of almost $4 billion. A market value around $4 billion might not seem huge in the land of unicorns. But Beyond Meat was just getting started. 
before anybody knew it, you know, post its first quarterly call, you know, it was up to like $130, $140. I mean, it just blew by everyone's most bullish expectations. And, you know, then it became the same thing. This is worth more than Tyson Foods, you know, largest protein producer in America. So it, it was definitely that technology impact, but it wasn't like Uber or Google or Facebook. I mean, their technology was like food. Just because something doesn't have software or a chip doesn't mean it isn't technology in the broader sense of innovation. And forward-thinking investors had begun to see the opportunity in its mission. That's why the company was now worth more than Tyson Foods, even though the two companies' sales weren't even close. All of Tyson's chickens were still adding up to a whole lot more dollars than the plant-based meat sold by Beyond Meat. But Beyond Meat was working hard to show investors how it planned to close the gap. It wasn't going to be with your typical soy-based veggie burger. For anyone that's ordered a veggie burger over the years, or put one in the microwave, it's never been a particularly satisfying experience. I'm not a vegetarian, but I empathize with folks that are. Their options have traditionally been pretty limited, especially at fast food restaurants or on the 4th of July. And that was the hook for Beyond Meat. In its IPO filing, the company said, The Beyond Burger is designed to look, cook, and taste like traditional ground beef. There was no identity crisis here. The company was putting its products in the meat aisle. And that was a big difference from how plant-based meat alternatives had been sold in the past. To understand why this was such a big deal, I called up my colleague Teresa Rivas, who has covered Beyond Meat in recent years. It's funny, Alex, you and I have known each other for 14 years now, right? Crazy. Since 2007. Is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the entire time you've known me, I've been a vegetarian. So I've been aware of the meat alternatives for a long time. For a good while, Teresa says those options were awfully limited. In the beginning, it was really hard to just completely go off that cold turkey, no pun intended, is really difficult because there's just not a lot of alternatives and you're just simply used to eating meat and putting it at the center of the meal. I was constantly looking for meat substitutes. But even all this time later, there are times when I would just love a burger. And that's exactly what Beyond Meat was betting on. The difference with with our our company is uh, we have something called OCD, which is obsessive chicken disorder. (laughs) (laughs) That's Ethan Brown, the founder of Beyond Meat. Back in 2009, Brown founded the company after quitting his job as a clean energy executive. He saw the meat industry with its environmental and ethical concerns as ripe for disruption. And that meant figuring out better ways to imitate meat. We believe that you can take proteins uh, directly from uh, plants. And you can realign those so they uh, mimic the fiber structure of, of meat or, or animal protein uh, in a way that's indistinguishable. Beyond Meat's big idea came as society began to think more about the broad impact of our diets. While vegetarians certainly deserve more options, Beyond Meat's opportunity went far beyond that. We can continue to replace gas-powered cars with electric vehicles, but our climate challenges can't be solved without also changing the way we eat and the resources our food uses. This was a message the company hit hard in its S-1 filing. The S-1 is the master document for going public. They are hundreds of pages long. It outlines the company's vision, its risks, and it's the first time we get a look at financials. Think of it as basically the mission statement the story the company is telling about itself. 
In Beyond Meat's filing, the company said that its plant-based meat production had an environmental upside. It claims to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 90%, while using 99% less water, 93% less land, and 46% less energy. While you should probably take those specific numbers with a grain of salt, there is broad agreement that reducing our reliance on animal-based foods is crucial in reversing climate change. You can tell from Beyond Meat's S1, it had something else to prove as well. The company says its burgers and sausages closely replicate the sensory experience of meat, from the look of the package and raw product, to the sizzle on the grill, to the juicy and protein-packed satisfaction of biting into a meaty burger or sausage. I haven't tried grilling Beyond Meat's burgers, but I will say, the sizzle is pretty important. Beyond Meat is on Fast Company's list of the world's 50 most innovative companies for 2014. I had a little moment of panic in the green room because I thought, what if it's not good? How do you hold your face on straight and be polite? You don't want to insult the guests, but that chicken was really, really tasty. I think there are a lot of different categories of people who would be interested in this, and it's not just a monolith. And I think that's what's so interesting because I think carnivores may have been previously reluctant to try veggie burgers because they had that terrible, soggy black bean burger five years ago, whereas Beyond Meat might be harder for them to distinguish. And if they are concerned about the ethical and environmental implications of eating meat, that makes it a lot easier to, to change. I kind of like soggy black bean burgers, but I take Teresa's point. This isn't supposed to be that meal you have once a year. More like a few times a week, at least. And Beyond Meat had a distribution strategy to match that idea. Here's Al Root again. The promise there was, okay, we're going to have this plant-based protein. We're not going to sell it in like the frozen veggie food aisle. We're going to sell it in like the meat aisle of the grocery store. You know, we're going to go to restaurants. We're going to go to retail. We're going to expand our distribution. We're going to go overseas. You know, you'll see this constant flow of product innovation. You'll see this constant flow of distribution expansion. They basically did it. They basically did what they said they were going to do. Investors were quickly drawn to Beyond Meat's broad market. It became a hot commodity for a surprisingly diverse group, from Leonardo DiCaprio to Bill Gates. Even Tyson Foods, the company Beyond Meat was ostensibly trying to put out of business, decided to take a stake in the company through their growing venture capital unit. If you asked anyone to sum up the rationale for investing in Beyond Meat, it was centered around this idea. The company had a huge total addressable market. What is the total addressable market? Well, the first thing I'd say, this is a huge total addressable market. That's sort of the total addressable market we're playing into. In the case of Beyond Meat, this was what the company called the $1.4 trillion global meat industry. If you're wondering what the global meat industry has to do with a still relatively small company, then you haven't met the optimist that builds stories around IPOs. To be fair, when a company is early in its journey, it's hard to say how far it can go. The problem is it's easy to get carried away. You start with vegans, then you go to people trying to eat less meat, and then it becomes any person that's ever tried a steak. Nearly every IPO has a massive potential market, which we'll be talking more about this season. But let's get back to Beyond Meat. Oh, goodness. These global macro market projections. I think it's important to know 
But I think it's really difficult to, you know, base an investment thesis off a 1.01 of this market. And so I can grow at 50% a year forever. I think that's a sort of a flawed investment thesis or a flawed starting point. It's kind of like everybody does it. So you got to do it in your S1. They don't always make a lot of sense to me. Is the market real? You know what? It's a great question because you sort of got to ask the company, like, are you you know, valuing all the chickens, pigs, and cows in the world? Are you taking like retail and restaurant sales and, and estimating what the beef portion of that is and what the chicken portion of that is? So like, you know, we could probably in five minutes and, and three or four Google searches could probably estimate the total retail consumption value of meat. It wouldn't really mount to a very important data point, but it, you know, it might be fun to know. The issue with a total addressable market is that it's easy to skew seemingly rational numbers. If I start a new podcast, it might not be crazy to estimate my future audience at 5 in 100 podcast listeners. That's 5%. But what if I said I should get 5% of anyone that's ever used headphones? Now we're getting a little crazy. The denominator makes all the difference. But startups like to think big. Here's one of our favorite guests, Aswath Demoterin, a corporate finance professor at NYU. You spin a story, a story about it in the case of Airbnb, that their total accessible market is $3 trillion. You know, the collective revenues at all hotels last year globally was $600 billion. When it went public, the company talked about a total addressable market north of $3 trillion. That included short-term stays, long-term lodging, plus the more nebulous category of experiences. Now, if you're going to tell me that market's going to become $3 trillion, Hey, I need some substance here. I'm not saying it's impossible. We've seen what Uber did to the car service market, but it's all storytelling and nothing more. Basically, the folks that write a company's S1 can always find a big number to explain a company's full opportunity. Henry Ellenbogen, the founder of Durable Capital, has had to navigate through these narratives when he invests in startups. Everyone says they have the world's largest addressable market and there's absolutely no competition and they're destined to win and they're going to be, you're going to take over the world, right? But yet very few people seem to do it. But Henry points out that traditional metrics don't always capture how a disruptive company is building its business. Take cloud software names, for example. It's a whole new concept. And if you believe in their potential, you have to think outside the box to grasp it. Let's use Snowflake, for example, a cloud company that went public last year with the promise of warehousing the world's data. Snowflake shares more than doubled in its market debut, making it the biggest software IPO ever. You know, when you get to something like Snowflake, it's a new addressable market, right? There's actually a lot more art in discovering that. More art than science, something a lot of investors struggle with. Nuance can be hard to value. I'll defend the total addressable market you know, play devil's advocate because like, you know, all of these institutional funds, they all have analysts, right? And they, they all have to, you know, model these companies. It, it's really useful when the company gives sort of a good rundown of the industry and their competitors and, you know, the values involved because we all have to build models and we all have to project. And it, it is really nice to have your hand held. Yeah. And, and it's good for the company to be the one doing the hand holding. Oh, yeah. In other words, there's value in controlling the narrative. So for Beyond Meat, this is all to say, replacing meat is a really big opportunity and market. 
And right now, Beyond Meat is the main pure play bet on the idea. Its rival in Possible Foods is also taking on Big Meat, but so far it's held off on an IPO. If the IPO is all about the big picture, the months that follow quickly become focused on lots of little details. It's not all that different from politics, where, as they say, you campaign in poetry and govern in prose. For Beyond Meat, the prose part has been up and down. After surging out of the gate, the stock peaked in July 2019. Much of the excitement had to do with the company's partnerships. Uh, we got some news for you uh, from Duncan and Beyond Meat. Including a deal with Dunkin' Donuts, where Beyond Meat's sizzling sausages were now on the breakfast menu. a big announcement today that it's getting into the plant-based meat game. The coffee chain launching a Beyond Sausage breakfast sandwich at about 160 locations in Manhattan beginning today. The sandwich will be available... Those deals are important to expanding Beyond Meat's market and brand recognition, according to Barron's Teresa Rivas. These high-profile partnerships are good from a PR perspective, of course, but they're also good in terms of they're giving people more opportunities to try the product. And someone who might be hesitant to buy it at the grocery store because, you know, they don't know how to prepare it or they just never go down that aisle. It's not on their list. They might be more willing to be adventurous and try it at a restaurant where they feel, you know, it's been handled by a professional and it's good on both those levels in terms of exposure and expanding a potential market for them. Good until it isn't. Last November, McDonald's jumped on the alternative meat bandwagon, announcing its new McPlant sandwich. There was no mention of Beyond Meat, which caused a problem for its stock. You know uh, what is not going people's way this morning, guys, is Beyond Meat. That was a kind of a strange announcement yesterday in terms of timing because we got the McPlant announcement from McDonald's. It was unclear who was the provider. Then we learned it was Beyond Meat, but it doesn't appear that it's going to be... McDonald's eventually clarified that Beyond Meat was involved, but the message had been sent. The sell-off highlighted a risk for Beyond Meat that's unlikely to ever go away. It doesn't have a monopoly on fake meat. What Beyond Meat does still have is a head start on everyone else. There is room for more. Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat obviously have a big first mover advantage, so they have a lot of momentum. At the same time, they're the two biggest players in this specific niche, but it's a growing niche, so there's room for more than one player there. And if the market evolves the way Beyond Meat and alternative meat fans hope, there's more than enough room here for two companies. A $1.3 trillion market buys a lot of fake meat. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadbackatbarons.com. Thanks to Al Root, Teresa Rivas, Henry Ellenbogen, and Aswath Demoterin. For more coverage on Beyond Meat, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Next week on the show, Facebook's IPO was a disaster. How it bounced back. Nowadays, like folks try to downplay the IPO by saying like, this is just a moment in time, you know, maybe not put so much pomp and circumstance around it. Facebook went the exact opposite direction. 
I can't remember a time when we weren't discussing Facebook as a company that might struggle from here on. We'll be back next week.